Welcome to Kingdom Testimonies. This is Lisa, and today is Wednesday, I believe it's the 20th, yes, of October, 2021. <clears throat> we are reading James Hudson Taylor, Pioneer Missionary of Inland China. And he is, uh, he's living in London, and he's working on getting himself ready to be a missionary in China. There is like no main one person over in China right now. And uh, somebody was the main missionary over there and then their vacancy is open. And this is what James Hudson Taylor wants to do. Now, he's still a very young man He's working for a doctor and saving up his wages and relying 100% on God to provide all of his living expenses, wages, everything that he needs to get to China. So let's start where we left off on chapter five, experiences in London. If I open the door or bid thee go, wilt thou go? Even if thou canst not see the way clearly, wilt thou trust in me? The very hairs of thy head are all numbered. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Many other such thoughts engaged the meditations of Hudson day by day. I do not feel sure that he does not want me to give up my situation and work my passage out to China, to go in faith, nothing doubting. I am patiently waiting for his guidance. In due time he will manifest his will, and then he and he alone can give me grace to fulfill it. So wrote James Hudson Taylor to his sister Amelia early in 1852 from his little sitting room and bedroom in one, over on Drainside, while still employed as an assistant to Dr. Hardy in Hull. His idea was to go as assistant to a ship's surgeon, but failing in that plan, then as a sailor before the mast. Captain Finch warned him of hardships and of evil companions that could not be avoided under the latter conditions. However, Nothing daunted his faith and courage, and the very fact that it would mean sacrifice to the point of suffering made it seem all the more worthwhile for Jesus' sake. The Chinese Evangelization Society had offered financial help, so had his father in Barnsley, but this was all refused with sincerest thanks. Willingly, he cut himself from possible sources of supply that he might make full proof through difficulties of God's promised care. He felt it right to give notice to Dr. Hardy at once so as to go forward with his medical studies in London. Now that his decision was made to take the next step forward, he burned all the bridges behind him and went forth to the great city of London with no situation in sight. All his efforts there to find suitable employment failed. He had no savings to fall back upon, except what he had put aside to purchase his outfit to go to China. But he wasted no time in worry about the future. 
Now all that lay between him and want in the great city of London was a few pounds for an outfit for China, a promise of help for hospital fees, an invitation to be guest a few days with his uncle while locating a situation, and a little pocket money. In the middle of September, he wrote to Amelia, Last autumn I was fretting and stewing, reckoning and puzzling about how to manage this and that, like a person in water who cannot swim, or like a fish out of it. But it all came to nothing. Now when the Lord opened the way, though everything seemed adverse, he first removed one difficulty after another, plainly saying, Be still and know that I am God. One of the difficulties came from a least expected source. Having been in correspondence with Mr. Pierce for two years, he thought all arrangements would have been completed for his entrance into a hospital for lectures and study. But Mr. Pierce was a very busy man in other matters of business besides those of the society, and Hudson found that he must push his own case through and wait not upon another to do it for him. It was his first experience with the red tape workings of a fully organized society, and one that he never forgot in his future dealings with would-be missionaries. After several weeks of waiting and struggling, he was finally received into a hospital as a student. So far distant was this hospital from his lodgings that at least two hours daily were required to walk there and back. There was the old-fashioned omnibus, the only public conveyance in London in those days, but the cost of this was quite beyond the reach of the young student. There was nothing for him to do but to walk. The story of Hudson Taylor's life in London would not be complete without reference to a few incidents that added to his list of personal proofs that man may be moved through God by prayer alone. To save his former landlady in Hull, Mrs. Finch, the cost of a commission when her husband's remittances were made to her by the shipping company for whom he was working, Hudson would receive the remittances himself and forward them to Mrs. Finch. One day she wrote asking if he would obtain the month's pay as early as possible, as her rent and other bills were due. At this particular time, Hudson was working hard on an examination with the hope of obtaining a scholarship and could not afford to lose a day from study to go to the city to attend to this business. Finding he had sufficient money of his own, he advanced the remittance to Mrs. Finch, expecting to refund himself from her allowance when he could take time to attend to this matter after the examinations. Um, I just wanted to note, I'm sitting in a park and doing this and people keep driving past, so I'm pausing if it seems a little disjointed. I'm pausing because I don't want the car noises to interfere. Okay, let's continue. In looking this matter up, stated the clerk, when Hudson applied for the amount due, I find the offer, officer whose pay you wish to draw has run away from his ship and gone to the gold diggings. Therefore, we have no money of his to be drawn. Well, that is very inconvenient for me, as I have already advanced the money, and I know his wife will have no means of repaying it. 
Very sorry, said the clerk, but of course I can act only according to orders. Though somewhat confused at first, Hudson soon counted this as another opportunity of trusting God. Very soon after this, while sewing together sheets of paper on which to take lecture notes, the young student accidentally pricked his finger but forgot about it in a few minutes. As usual, he was called the next day to the dissecting room. The body to be studied was that of a person who had died of fever and was more than ordinarily disagreeable and dangerous. All who worked upon it dissected with special care, knowing that the slightest scratch upon themselves might cause death. Before noon, Hudson felt very weary, and while going through surgical wards, suddenly felt so ill that he had to run outside. During the afternoon lecture, he felt so miserable that it was almost impossible for him to take notes. His right arm and side were full of pain. Finding himself too ill to continue work, he went to the dissecting room to put away his apparatus and remarked to the surgeon in charge, I cannot think what has come over me. What has happened is clear enough, replied the surgeon. You have cut yourself in dissecting and you know that was a case of malignant fever. However, when the surgeon examined the arm and hand, he found nothing to cause pain. Suddenly remembering he had pricked his finger the night before, Hudson asked if it were possible for a needle prick at that time to be still unclosed. That is probably the trouble. Go home and arrange your affairs as quickly as possible, for, said the surgeon, you are a dead man. His medical friend, being a skeptic, Hudson was glad of an opportunity to speak of the joy the prospect of soon being with his master gave him. But to use his own words to the surgeon, I do not think that I shall die, for unless I am much mistaken, I have work to do in China, and if so, however severe the struggle, I must be brought through. That is all very well, said the surgeon, but get a carriage and drive home as soon as possible. You have no time to lose, for you will soon be incapable of winding up your affairs. On reaching the boarding house, he called for hot water, then while he proceeded to bathe his hand, he exhorted the servant to accept eternal life as the gift of God through Jesus Christ. After lancing his finger to allow the poisoned blood to escape, poor suffering Taylor fainted away, and when he became conscious again, found he had been carried to bed. Sorry about that, I didn't see that one coming. His kind uncle's private physician seriously said, if you have been living moderately, you may pull through. But if you have been going in for beer and that kind of thing, there is no manner of chance for you. Brown bread and water, have, having been his diet for a good while past, all advantages of sober life were in his favor. Slowly the days of suffering passed by, but when he got well enough to leave his room, he learned that two other men who had acquired dissection wounds at the same time as he had, both died while he was spared to work for God in China. The doctor advised him to get away to the country as soon as he felt strong enough for the journey. But being too short of money for this, he simply committed the matter to God in prayer and did not make known to friends in Hull and Barnsley his true physical condition. While he was lying almost exhausted on the couch one day, the Lord directed him to go again to the shipping office and inquire once more about the wages he had been unable to draw. 
He could not afford conveyance and was doubtful as to really getting the money, and feared the idea was mere a clutching to a straw rather than divine guidance. However, after further prayer, he felt clearly directed to go. Without strength enough to go up and down stairs alone, Hudson Taylor's great scope of faith was all that moved him to set out on a two-mile walk alone. But for the needed strength, he relied upon the one who prompted such action. Eventually, the shipping office was reached safely, and he was greeted by the same clerk behind the counter with these words. Oh, I am so glad you have come, for it turns out that it was an able seaman by the same name that ran away. The mate is still on board, and I shall be glad to give you the half pay up to date. Next morning, Mr. Taylor felt like a well man and went out to see the doctor who had attended him, feeling that, although his uncle had offered to pay the bill, it was right that he should go and ask for it himself, since he now had money to pay it. The kind surgeon refused to allow him, as a medical student, to pay anything except the cost of medicines. When that was settled, Hudson saw the amount left was just enough to take him home to the country, according to the doctor's orders, and the whole thing seemed so wonderful a working of God in his behalf that he could not refrain from speaking to the surgeon, skeptical though the latter was. I feel that under God I owe my life to your care, he began, and wish very earnestly that you might become partaker of that same precious faith that I possess. In referring to this incident afterwards, Taylor wrote, I told him my reason for being in London, my circumstances, why I declined help from the society and from my father. I told him how hopeless my condition was the day before when he ordered me to go to the country. But when I told him I got up and walked to the shipping office, he looked at me amazed and said, impossible. Why, I left you, left you lying there more like a ghost than a man. I had to assure him again and again that, strengthened by faith, I had really made the walk. I told him what payments there had been to make, and showed him that just sufficient remained to take me to Barnsley. My kind friend was completely broken down and said with tears in his eyes, I would give all the world for a faith like yours. On the other hand, I had the joy of telling him it was to be obtained without money and without price. Chapter 6. New Developments Shall I continue my medical studies at the hospital? If so, will this not increase my obligations to the CES? That is the China Evangelization Society. It will cost them fully a hundred pounds if I finish the course, and then I should feel under obligation to work for their society, else refund them the money. Thus pondered Hudson Taylor one cold winter day early in 1853, after he had returned to London fully recovered from the illness that so nearly cost him his life. Then, too, the meditation continued, that society confines its efforts to Ch in China to treaty ports only, and I cannot rid myself of the idea of doing missionary work away from the coast, seeking out those interior places where few white men go. If I allow them to put me through school and send me out, I should have no worry about support in China, for they would take care of that. But suppose I felt clearly led of God to take up work inland, and the society wished me to remain on the coast, what would I do? 
Such thoughts as these engage the mind of the prospective missionary very seriously. He must make a decision quickly. Train going by. Hope it's not too loud. His answer should be given to the society in time to enroll for the spring course of study. Yet he could not act before he was sure of God's guidance. Full many a prayer in those lovely spring days might have been measured by the mile as he went up and down from the hospital and his place of lodging. But when the time came to go forward, he did so without hesitation. Concluding that the most binding thing in all his life was faithfulness to his own convictions of the will of God for him, Hudson Taylor finally wrote to Mr. Bird, one of the secretaries of the CES, stating clearly his reasons for declining the society's offer. Thus he explained the matter to Mr. Bird. If I am guided by God in going out, he will open the way and provide the means required. If a degree is necessary, he will supply the means for that also. If it is not necessary, it will be better for the time and money to be spent otherwise. And if I am not called to go, far better for all concerned that I should not leave England. Slowly filtering its way from the inland provinces of China came news that astonished the Western world. The Taiping Rebellion, which began in 1850, had spread over great lengths and breadths in that secluded country. Arising in the south, it had reached the central provinces, coming into possession of the greater part of the Yangtze Valley including Nanking, the former capital. Here the leader of the rebellion had established his capital and had rallied his army to march on to Peking. How strange that a crisis like this arising among heathen people should be based upon Christian lines. But Hung Sui Tsuen, the leader, was making it so. The Bible was his foundation, yet how little he understood of its spiritual teaching. A gospel tract had been given to him by one of Robert Morrison's converts. Afterwards, he spent a few months studying the scriptures under the American Baptist Missionary Union. Upon return to his own province, Quangxi, he began teaching others this new religion. He forbade opium smoking and welcomed Western people, something quite contrary to Chinese pride and superstition. By and by, the Chinese authorities persecuted him bitterly. His followers took up arms, and soon the disturbance became warlike. They tried to crush idolatry and explained Christianity to the people the best they could, although very few, if any, really grasped a clear idea of it. Though through fear of the conquering army, the nation was gradually submitting to the new leader. What a bright outlook for missionary work in China. Christian hearts in Western lands could not but beat high with hope. No wonder that with these tidings, Hudson Taylor felt disposed to drop his medical studies in London and work his passage out to China right away. Yet in spite of his ambitions, he felt inclined to act upon the teachings of Christ to count well the cost before beginning to build. If he succeeded in reaching China without funds, how could he carry on missionary work without them? It is three and one half years since God said, Go for me to China. 
Now her very doors appear to have been flung wide open for Christianity, reasoned young Taylor with his own heart. Am I really prepared in every way except for the unfinished course of my medical study? In view of new developments in China, the Chinese Evangelization Society were considering their duty and responsibility in a little different light than hitherto. The secretary sat in his office writing. It was Saturday afternoon, and the letter still lay on his desk. Tap, 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 came a knock on his office door. Come in. Gently the door opened and the visitor stepped in. Why, I have just been writing to you, exclaimed the secretary. The letter has not been posted yet. Long and earnest and serious was a conversation that followed on the topic suggested in this letter that was never mailed. 17 Red Lion Square, London, June 4, 1853. My dear sir, as you have fully made up your mind to go to China and also not to qualify as a surgeon, I would affectionately suggest that you lose no time in preparing to start. At this time, we want really devoted men, and I believe your heart is right before God and your motives pure, so that you need not hesitate in offering. I think you will find difficulty in carrying out your plan of self-support, as even Mr. Lobsheed could not get a free passage. It is a very difficult thing to obtain. The expense for a single man is about 60 pounds. If you think it right to offer yourself, I should be most happy to lay your application before the board. It is, important, it is an important step, and much earnest prayer is needed. But guidance will be given. Do with thy might and speedily. I am, my very dear sir, very truly yours, Charles Bird. After the rising and setting of two more suns during those long, balmy days in June, a middle-aged lady in Barnsley received a letter. She recognized the handwriting at a glance. Standing her broom in a corner, she seated herself on the back doorstep to read the silent message. Several pages were occupied in explaining the interview with Mr. Burr on Saturday, and then Hudson Taylor concluded, I think, Mother dear, it will be well to comply with Mr. Bird's suggestion and propose myself to the committee. I shall await your answer, however, and rely upon your prayers. If I should be accepted to go at once, would you advise me to come home before sailing? I almost think it would be easier for us not to meet than having met to part again forever. No, not forever. It is easy to talk of leaving all for Christ. But when we come to the test, it is only as we stand complete in him, we can go through with it. God bless you, my own dear, dear mother. Cannot write more, but hope to hear from you soon as possible. Pray much for me. Okay, we will stop there. We did two more chapters. Um... Three, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. Now we'll be starting in numbers chapter seven on Friday, um, but it's it's a little bit more lengthy and it'll it'll take us past the thirty minute mark. I apologize for all the road noise. Um, there is this is a very popular park, and it was empty when I got here, but not so right now um being a beautiful day and all so 
but there you go. It's pretty, pretty interesting how James is um, wanting so badly to trust in the Lord 100%. And, you know, he didn't want to take any money from the Chinese Evangelization Society because he didn't want to be hindered on where he could go and and preach and evangelize and that sort of thing um you know and we see a lot of that today where if you join with like a denomination you're limited but you know i mean the work of the church is the work of jesus christ it's not the work of a building or a pastor or you know any particular ministry it's the work of Jesus Christ and if God says I want you to go here or go there and an organization who is paying your way says no nope that's not our vision you know it's not that they are so much wrong in your life it's that you are not where you should be so, and obviously, um, the CES that is funding James's passage to China, they, he already told them, I can't work with you guys because you might keep me on the coast and I want to go inland. And they are probably thinking there ain't going to be much success inland, inland, but okay you know and finally they said okay we want you to go um they must must have seen something in him um but what's really struck me was that letter which was really neat they had written the letter they just hadn't mailed it and then he showed up but what struck me was in that letter there was nothing about I mean, they did say, you know, you, we trust in your guidance, you know, you will be guided by God. But for an evangelization society, um, you know, there wasn't much mention of God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, and it wasn't a very religious letter it was just like a letter of an organization so i don't know i hate to hate to judge and be critical and pick it apart but um sometimes organizations just end up being too organized and they don't let this the holy spirit do what he wants you know he moves like the wind you can't tell where he's going or where he came from and you certainly can't put him into a format or a doctrine or a box he comes and goes as he pleases so good for james for you know holding his ground and i think it was just those types of things we're relying on god only um just those types of things may was what really caused him to be so well known 
for evangelizing inland China. I mean, it wasn't going to be left to just any society member. It was somebody who was 100% trusting in God. And it's just really cool. So we're going to pick it up on Friday while he, where he is uh, embarking on his voyage, finally. And so we'll leave it there for today. And we will pick up the story of James Hudson Taylor again on Friday. Tomorrow, of course, being my, my blog day. So... I will let you all go, and I pray that you have a blessed day.